So today's reading comes from Luke 4, verses 14 to 30, and Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. And these can be found on pages 973 and 916. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, He continued, prophets are not accepted in their hometowns. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them were cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Liz, would you pray for us? Would you pray for us as we listen? Father God, we come to you this morning to meet with you and to leave all our baggage and lay it down at your feet Um, and I just want to pray for Matthew as he brings your words to us this morning I pray that we would have open hearts to hear what you want to say to us and I pray that you would bless him Amen Amen, thank you Liz (coughs) 
So last week I almost lost my voice halfway through the talk. So this week I'm feeling better. Um, thank you for the kindness of people who asked before um, the service how I was feeling. Um, there are a few dodgy moments of last week's service purely from a being able to speak perspective, um, which are corrected now. So that's good. Um, We're coming to the end, in fact we're at the end of our series on the Beatitudes. Liz has just read the last one to us and I've been building a summary as we've been going through recent weeks of the Beatitudes that we've studied and what they have taught us about the Kingdom of God. And that, if you like, is is the kind of um, strapline of this series that we're seeking to learn about the kingdom of God so that we might live as more fruitful, connected disciples on our front lines. Uh, and that's the whole uh, vision that we have for this year in the life of our church, um, in our teaching series, that we are exploring what it is to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And so in turn one, we were following Jesus to become more like him. And we did an extended series on Mark's gospel. And we looked at the characteristics of Jesus and how we can take those characteristics that Jesus embodies and and apply them and model them in our own lives. In this uh, term, we're looking at uh, following Jesus to change the world. And uh, our hope and prayer is that as we look at the Beatitudes, which is a whole part, uh, a section of a wider teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus gave to his disciples to equip them to be faithful to him in the world around them. Our hope and prayer is that you are coming with expectation that what you hear and receive in the reflections on Sundays might impact your lives um, outside of this place. If, 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 if that's not the case, we failed. <laughs> Um, So I hope and pray that that's true um, and that something in what we're sharing, not just me, but David and Chris and there's another, uh, Becky, um, have shared, will have spoken into your lives. So today, our final uh, beatitude, uh, before we begin our Ready to Resist Evil series next week, please do pray for that series. It's something that we felt for a while we should do, but the subject content is quite heavy. Uh, but we feel as Christians we need to be aware that there is a spiritual battle going on between forces of good and God and evil and the devil. And it's right that we study it and we reflect on it and we equip ourselves to face that battle in the strength of God. So that starts next week, so do pray for that. Let me read um, a couple of verses back from the chapter of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in preparation for this talk and in my prayers this week, I've been thinking about the persecuted church. And I've been reading uh, stories, testimonies of uh, persecution in Uganda, in the Philippines, in Pakistan, and in Indonesia. 
And there was a video I considered showing you, but um, it, it was quite harrowing, and you can watch it yourselves on Open Doors USA um, later. It's a video which tells the story of Susan, and I'm going to paraphrase the video uh, for you now. Susan lives in Uganda. Uh, this is a real story. She went to a Christian rally, and she was so taken with the gods who she encountered at the rally and what she heard about Jesus, that she gave her life to become a follower of Jesus. She gave her life to the Lord. And she went home to her Muslim family, and her father um, told her that she must renounce her faith in Jesus Christ, that she must stop being involved with the church, um, and she refused. So her father then took her into a room, sat her on a mat, um, and told her that she wasn't to get up from that mat until she renounced Jesus. The father locked the door to the room. She was without food and water, save for what her younger brother was able to sneak in through tunneling under the door and pouring water into the hole underneath the door to keep her alive. And she stayed like that for three months until her next-door neighbours realised that something was missing, that um, Susan hadn't been seen for ages, and they alerted the police with concerns for her safety. The police found Susan uh, just alive, but barely, sitting on the mat. She refused to renounce her faith in Jesus Christ. I'm unlikely to be locked in a room this week told to sit on a mat unless I renounce Jesus. We don't have to meet this morning in fear um, when we worship. I'm unlikely to be attacked, beaten or tortured for being a follower of Jesus in the days to come. And I'm unlikely to even be mocked for being a Christian How we read the scriptures, like the Beatitudes, and understand this Beatitude, that blessed are those who are persecuted in the West, in this country, is entirely different from the way in which you would read this if you were someone like Susan in Uganda, or if you were in North Korea, or if you were in parts of China, or if you were in Indonesia, Pakistan, the Philippines, and many more countries around the world. You would read this scripture differently because of your experience and because of your fear. And the way in which you would hear other scriptures, like Jesus' invocation, that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And scriptures like that become all the more literal when you live as a Christian in in a persecuted, uh, in a state of persecution. The Beatitude this morning reminds us there really is a cost to discipleship that we often lose sight of in our nation. And it's being faced by Christians around the world as we gather in Christ's name this morning. And so here we have this challenging Beatitude that says, blessed Highly honoured, highly favoured are you when you are persecuted because of righteousness. Remember the earlier beatitude um, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness 
will be filled. And when we looked at that beatitude, we, sh- we said that actually it's not just the what we aim for in life, that we aim for righteousness, but it's about how we aim for it. That we're to hunger and thirst. I cannot tell you the admiration I have for Christians who live in the fear of their lives and refuse, like Susan, to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. It's just not part of my spiritual experience. It's not part of my discipleship to live in that context. And I'm inspired by people who are. And as I've been preparing for this talk this morning, I've been convicted that I need to intentionally pray more often for the persecuted church. Because these people are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to uphold them in our prayers. So we talk about righteousness Well, what is righteousness? Um, It's a word we often refer to, the righteousness of God, but what does it actually uh, mean? So you might have your own definition, uh, but mine is this. Righteousness is the outworking of Jesus' holiness. Righteousness is the outworking of Jesus' holiness. So for Jesus' teaching, for example, in Matthew chapter 5 and onwards, Through his death on the cross, he has made things right. Righteousness is when God acts to bring healing and the restoration of his image to a broken world. And it has a very real effect. Righteousness is is akin to to chucking a, 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 a bucket of cold water on a fire and hearing the loud reaction that comes from it. You know, pursuing righteousness has an effect on the brokenness of the world in which we live. And when we hunger and thirst for it, when we hunger and thirst for God's way in our world, in the midst of the injustice and oppression that we see, there will be opposition, there will be rejection, there will be taunts and challenges to those who will pursue righteousness. And it could be the headline cases of persecution, like Susan, that I've just referred to, or the many more stories that I've read this week and that you can read about online as well. But it will also be the experience of trying to live for a Christian, as a Christian on our front lines, in our workplaces, in our friendship groups. We might not use the label persecution, but we need to be aware that in our pursuit of righteousness, there will be challenges. A boss at work acts fraudulently uh, or or commits some other misdemeanor in the workplace and invites his team to join together in covering up uh, what has happened. But you're a Christian And you're pretty convinced that covering up fraud is not part of righteous living. What do you do? Or you're a doctor and you're asked to perform certain medical procedures and it doesn't tally with your understanding of what scripture says. What do you do? Or you're part of a friendship group which at any particular point is engaging in in malicious gossip. But you're a Christian, and you know that to be wrong. What do you do? In our pursuit 
of righteousness, in our hungering and thirsting for righteousness, there is likely to be a cost. We encounter these situations on our front lines in our lives. So in this series, I've tried to unpack the Beatitudes, um, both by saying what a particular Beatitude is about, but also by saying what it isn't about. So in reference to our Beatitude this morning, the eighth Beatitude, um, let me say what the Beatitude does not mean. So I have three points. It does not mean being glad in times of, sorry, being glad in times of persecution does not mean being insensitive and not caring about the impact of what we do. We might feel that being a Christian calls us to take a certain action and we might be unwavering in our resolve to hold to what we believe is right in taking an action, but we're not called to be insensitive or dispassionate or uncaring about the, um, about the impact of that on others. So being glad in times of persecution does not mean being insensitive to those around us. Persecution does not mean looking for trouble. I don't know if you're one of the type of people who trouble seems to find easily without any attempt um, or whether you know you have to go searching for it, but it's, it's generally a good idea not to search for trouble. Life throws up enough challenges without us searching for opportunities to encounter persecution. We are called, as another beatitude tells us, to be peacemakers. Thirdly, in terms of what uh, uh, this beatitude is not about, this beatitude does not mean that we have a biblical basis for fighting anyone who has a different view to ourselves. It might sound an obvious point, but... I, I there seems to be um, less and less tolerance around uh, diversity of opinions. I don't know if you experience this as well, but there seems to be far more conflict. You know, when, when you say, I disagree with you, it seems to become a far more conflictual situation far quicker um, than, than I've known it in the past. Um, and I think the scripture is telling us this morning that we don't necessarily have a biblical basis, a mandate, to pick every fight we want to because we disagree with the person who's speaking to us. Um, so there are three things that um, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness is not about. Um, being insensitive um, to others, looking for trouble, um, or having a biblical basis for fighting anyone who disagrees with us. So what is it actually about? So three points that talk about what um, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness is about. It's about a willingness to be distinctive to those around us. Which is not to say that being distinctive or standing out from the crowd is the goal in itself, but having a willingness to be for Jesus and to allow that willingness to be for Jesus to, to make us distinctive having that willingness to be distinctive is important. But there might well be a cost to that which says that if we are distinctively, if we're known to be for Jesus, if our behavior, if the way we speak, if the lack of cursing um, stands us apart from cultures around us, then that might attract mockery, it might attract questions, 
Um, it might even attract outright hostility. But we need to be willing to be um, distinct for the sake of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted does mean speaking up and standing up for what is right, whatever the response or the cost of doing so. It is right that the church has a prophetic voice in the refugee crisis, both a voice in government and in political circles, but also in practical help and support of those who have nothing. We are called to speak up and stand up for those who are persecuted. And thirdly, being blessed for persecution, being glad of persecution, does mean having to accept the consequences of living by different values. And that might mean that some, some of our friends start to get a bit um, aware of our Christian faith and the way we model it. Um, I would hope uh, that if we're embodying the fruits of the Spirit, um, that that faith is gracious and humble and attractive to those around us. That would be my hope. But sometimes we position ourselves with people who are not helpful to our lives, and sometimes it's right to separate ourselves from people who won't help us to flourish in life um, or know the Lord. Um, There are consequences um, to being willing to live by this radically different set of values. That's not a separatist agenda. I don't want you separating yourself out um, from uh, friends just for the sake of it. That's not what I'm saying. Um, But it is about recognizing that there are costs to living by an overtly different set of values. Dermot O'Murchu wrote in an old book um, called Reclaiming Spirituality these words about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is about the ability to engage contemplatively and creatively in the right relationships that will beget a new world order, characterised by justice, love, peace and liberation for all. Let me just read that again. The kingdom is about the ability to engage contemplatively and creatively in the right relationships that will beget a new world order, characterised by justice, love, peace and liberation for all. So what is distinctive about your lives? What is distinctive that through you people might glimpse Jesus? What is distinctive in such a way that God, the living God, might work through you to reveal his kingdom? Are you willing to be distinctive in the workplace when people around you are gossiping? Are you willing to stand apart from that gossip? What is distinctive about your lives in Christ? Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks that you have called us to your beloved Son in whom we find our life and purpose. Father, we pray that by the grace of your Holy Spirit you would set righteousness before us as the what, the focus of our lives. That we might hunger and thirst for your ways. 
that we might remain so connected into the life of Christ that we seek Jesus in every situation. That the temptations to live by a different set of values might not sway us away from the distinctiveness of living for Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Lord, in our weakness, be our strength. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.